Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin, and you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Use that same username to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, just about any platform you can think of. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. So please do subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share. That's right. Most important, share. Uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Recycle Processes. Before we get started, we thank them for their continued support. And we also thank another sponsor, CIOGC. That's Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicagoland. Uh, you can get more information about them at CIOGC.org. And with that, I am happy to get into our conversations today. I am joined by two uh, spry and alert <laughs> yes alert and accomplished individuals Aydin Anwar Sadiq bin Abdullah Assalamu alaikum to both of you um, you guys have been doing a bit of hosting yourselves uh, having some fun with it trying to yeah Aydin yeah. <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. experience learning right. a lot alright uh, Radio Islam family you get to you get to kind of be the fly on the wall as we just talk about whatever the heck we feel like talking about. Right? Pretty much. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Sadek, uh, earlier, yes. offline, you and I were having a conversation. I thought that we needed to, you know, we said we need to revisit this. Let, sure. let, the, let the family in on it. Um, we're talking about the idea of kind of, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you want to say normative readings or understandings. Sure. Um, and, and okay, so let me let you in. The context here is the uh, is, is Quranic interpretation or reading theology, right? That's fair to say. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was thinking, well, okay. Right. No, no, go well, ahead. Well, if you want, <laughs> if you want to reframe that, go ahead. So I was, I was thinking of, of of all of that, opposed to uh, what we were mentioning offline, uh, which is this like heteronormative. Uh, uh, Christian, white, dominant uh, view of Western society, mm-hmm. and and how um, essentially the African American community uh, throughout history, uh, throughout you know recent history, uh, has kind of adopted specific theological traditions that essentially oppose that. Right, liberation theology. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can range from you know things like the more science temple to black Hebrew Israelites to nation of Islam or in this case right normative mainstream Sunni Islam mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I was, I was watching uh, an interview <clears throat> recently uh, from Sway in the Morning with uh, Staley he's mm-hmm. uh, you know he's, he's an artist he's a rapper he's been around since maybe like 2008 or so Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been following his music since then. And he just recently dropped a new album this past Friday, uh, called Head Trip, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Head Trip. I, th- I think that's what it's called. And um, Aiden, do you know who Stali is? Sadly, no. Sorry. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. But please proceed. <laughs> so, so you know, he's uh, he's you know he's from uh, he's from Ohio. Uh, he's African American, Sunni Muslim, and. In the interview, I, I, I noticed, you know, the, the camera was kind of far away from him, and you know, I, I, I what I what appeared to be on his head, I thought was, you know, just like 
a very short haircut mm-hmm. and his hairline. <clears throat> but then I noticed there was kind of like some designs in there, so I thought, oh, maybe he's got you know like some kind of like haircut, some kind of style going on. Yeah. And then the camera kind of zoomed in. And I noticed it was a head tattoo, and it was you know he had like the pharaoh on, Isis, Osiris, Horus, you know, all the ancient Egyptian you know symbolisms and all that. And he was kind of elaborating upon why he got those tattoos, and and he mentions this in, in his new album as well, is that he's been sitting with people from the Morse Science Temple recently and people of you know from the uh, Hebrew Israelites. And he's kind of like learning from them, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so you know. But but he makes it explicitly clear that you know he's a Sunni Muslim and he's content with Sunni Islam, um, and then in which he later on went on to explain the difference between mainstream Sunni Islam and the Nation of Islam and, and all that. But you know, I, I got you know thinking about this, and I was thinking about how and why these other traditions, such as the Morse Science Temple and the Hebrew Israelites, uh, you know, kind of like what role they play in African-American society today in opposing things like, you know, systematic racism or white supremacy or, uh, you know, just the way in which Western society is perceived to be by, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, uh, I'm going blank here. What's, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just what, what, like, normative society would... would how To minority them. communities? Yeah, yeah. The way, the way in which, like, mainstream society kind of perceives itself yeah. In the grand scheme of things. Okay. All right. I got you. And that kind of led us to, I guess, a another realization, which is that um, religion, or in this case, the Quran, yeah. it it kind of meets you where you are, right? If you are, if you if you read it as a person enduring oppression. Um, then you're going to find, you're going to gravitate towards those verses, those ayah that deal with justice, you know, deal with equity. Um, What was your first thought? My first thought on... Yeah, I mean, as far as him, because it sounds like, sounds like what would, if he's talking about the Moorish Science Temple, then, and little homework, uh, family, little homework, you can look up Noble Drew Ali. Yeah. All right. That's it. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I mean, I, well, my initial thought was, okay, so, so he makes it explicitly clear, you know, that you know, he's, Sunni, he's, he's Sunni Muslim and he's content with Sunni Islam. But I thought to myself, okay, well, then what's the need to gravitate towards, like, the more science temple or the Hebrew-Israelite movement? Uh, that, that, was, that, that was the first uh, kind of initial thought that I had. Yeah. Um, but then I guess, you know, he kind of goes on to explain, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, kind of learning a little bit from here and there and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I suppose it's, it's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah but, but religion, I mean, religion is a language, right? But then sure. whatever your orientation is, whatever your faith tradition is, it's a, a particular language for explaining the world, for, um, for defining, you know, us as human beings. So, and, and a cosmology, you know, yeah. as well, that's yeah. attached to that. So in, in these spaces where you have different renderings of, of faith uh, or different texts, which inform our understanding of faith, which means you have different languages, different yeah. worldviews that, you know, I, I definitely see. It's like interfaith work, right? I sure. mean, as a Muslim, I've had to take classes about Buddhism, you know, not just, yeah. you know, Christianity and, and Jains and Sikhs and all of that. Yeah to prepare me to be able to have substantive dialogue mm-hmm. with them 
um, you know, in ways that, you know, uh, allow me to understand their, right. their origin and their worldview and, you know, mm-hmm. and, then, uh, and then also to, to be able to find that commonality. Sure. I didn't. I see you. Are you nodding to stay awake? Or are you nodding because you <laughs> no. have a point that you want to make? No, no, I'm, I'm just comprehending what you guys are both talking about. Um, I was just thinking about, like, what you're mentioning of, you know, if, if you're oppressed, you know, there are verses that kind of, um, I guess, console you in a way, right? Like, and, and based off of your identity or, like, your situation, you know, you, you interpret or you read the Quran in different ways, in different lights. So, for example, even... As an Uyghur, like one thing that allows me to keep going with being active and advocating for our oppressed community back home that's being oppressed by China is the fact that like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all just and you know there's very clear statements on how oppressors will be punished and how those oppressed will be rewarded and how there's you know there's um, you know even talk of like how every ounce of pain that you go through, like Allah subhanahu wa is erasing their sins. And so if it wasn't for that whole concept, I think even continuing to advocate for these causes would mm-hmm. almost be, personally, I'm going to speak for myself, like very, very hard to do. And I think I would have given up like for even some time ago, you know, it just because like it's not it's not sometimes it feels like it's too much. Mm-hmm and not sustainable and you be, you can become easily depressed burnt out and you i mean obviously these things can still happen even with you know the the consciousness of god and consciousness of like how justice works with the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes it um but you know at the same time though it, it pushes us it continues it, it keeps me going to a certain extent right um I like at least when i think of i think when there's no justice in this world there's there at least it will happen in the hereafter and even in this world there is no clear definition of what justice looks like right even the justice system that is at place even let's say the like the oppressor is committed like is 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 fine for their crimes you know in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the, the the punishment could be much worse or sometimes these people get away with their crimes and whatnot so i that's just what reminded me when you were talking about you know mm-hmm. reading the text in that way um or even when it comes to wealth, right? If you're poor, rich, and um, the way Allah tells us to honor the orphans, like, you know, I'm just imagining myself, like, in these, if I was an orphan, um, you know, how how I would feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is literally honoring that mm-hmm. person in through revelation. All right. You know, so there's the, uh, there's an interpretation, and then there's also... I guess on the other side, there's the appearance, right? And appearance does not also does not necessarily correlate with um, uh, holding a particular interpretation. And and by that I mean when you mentioned uh, Sadiq, when you mentioned the the brother, what's his name? Stally. Yeah. Okay, so he's got these head tattoos, right? He would not be, and I use this word with a lot of um, with with a bit of trepidation, right? When I say normative. Right, because you know what is what's what's the the hadith about? Well, maybe it's not even hadith, but it's it is an understanding, right? The the various madhab that we have, these schools of thought, and the differences of opinion sure. that they are in themselves a mercy to yeah. the community, right? To say right. that there's not really just one way to see things, sure. right? That being said, right. a man has, <laughs> you know, he's got head tattoos, and right. you could kind of say that 
in some circles or maybe even the majority of circles, right. that's not a normative sure. expression, right. uh, <laughs> you know, appearance, right? right? Doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have an interpretation of the text, sure. right, of the crime, which leans towards justice and yeah. equity and all of that, right? right? So how important is it or can these two things exist um, you know, independent of one another, how important is it that they be connected? Or is it important that they be connected? Appearance and interpretation. Or, or yeah, yeah, because normative. You, yeah, you might look right. like, you might look the part, mm. right? But your interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's all really subjective, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and I mean, but, but I mean, Going off of the idea of subjectivity, I mean, like, as you mentioned, like, all the different madahib propose one particular leaning or another. Yeah. Which falls within the realm of orthodoxy still. Yeah. And then you got these minority opinions. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, the, the correlation between, like, appearance and normativity or orthodoxy or whatever, they can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they either should have to or that they cannot. Right. Um, and that that all really depends on like different things like circumstance, cultural context, uh, interpretation, as you mentioned. Uh, so uh, there's really a lot that goes into it. This is like a it's it's like a multi layered thing that uh, really has to be assessed thoroughly. I don't think I don't think I don't necessarily think there's like one specific answer. Mm. You know, I want to take this question into kind of embedded in a context. Both of you are graduates of very prestigious institutions. Mm. All right. Uh, You you want to rep your schools or you want to you not want to say nothing? Go Blue Devils! Um, I stuck for the law. Yeah, my mascot Blue Devils. Um, Really, Blue Devils? Yeah, it's a blue shade thought. I'm not even joking. Yeah, like we walked around with shirts with like shaitan symbols. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, but but Duke, Duke, yeah, Duke is a school. For yeah. Um, yeah, and, and University, Sada, University of Chicago. Yeah. Now within that, within those contexts, right? These are very these are elite uh, institutions. Yeah. Right. Some of the older institutions, as a matter of fact. Yeah. You know, in the uh, U.S. Um. How, how does that or how did. Uh, how did Islam look? How did the, the Muslim community in those institutions look? Um, how was it impacted? Or how, you know, what, what was the diversity? Or was there diversity? Mm. Right? Because we talked first, you know, we right. just kind of mentioned right. like right. poor folks and rich folks. And right. I mean, so I'm not, I'm only going to speak for myself, obviously, because I'm sure every person has a different experience and every school maybe has a different culture or a different dynamic. But I remember coming in, you know, to Duke as a freshman, and honestly being pretty overwhelmed at, um, I mean, it, it was diverse, obviously, in the sense that there was, apparently, I think the student, I think it was like 52% um, like non-white people attended. So like, wow. you know, that's that's a pretty, either 52 or 48%, but either way, it's still like, that's still considered pretty diverse for an institution like that. Um, but in regards to socioeconomic status, it's definitely, I would say, majority of the people are 
like pretty well off. I would say their yearly income is at, I think I remember reading an article. I think it was like over 160,000 for fam- their family income. Mm. And I think ma- majority of the students or a large sum of them um, like meet that meet that standard. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like coming in, like, you don't even have to know the statistics I see it because I remember walking in and just being really overwhelmed at um, you know, the amount of they, they kind of I felt like it, what what I felt like was a lack of diversity when it came to socioeconomic background. So in the sense that I there were a lot of rich people. And you know, it, even in the Muslim community, like I felt like a lot of the people in the MSA who I surrounded myself with, like mashallah, they came from very uh, um, upper class backgrounds, which you know, may Allah continue blessing them and it's great. But what was a little frustrating for me was I felt like sometimes these this kind of privileged privilege didn't allow them to see the other side or never a lot of them never experienced the other side, and that as a result created this kind of um, I don't want to say ignorance, but like just just an inability to kind of to even understand what some what another Muslim student who may be coming from a lower background may be going through. Mm-hmm. So for example, like every Friday we'd have social outings, right? And every Friday, people would just have no concern with going out every Friday to go eat, right? And for, for certain people, this becomes a lot, right? It's not, their parents just can't continuously uh, send them money or they're either doing work study. Like this money is not, like they make maybe 10 bucks an hour, maybe less. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy money, right? And no one wants to be spending it every week like that. Whereas there are people who are in the MSA who whose parents are constantly, you know, transferring money all the time with no problem at all. Mashallah to them, may Allah continue blessing them. But it's it was just kind of that kind of, and the problem is because there wasn't that diversity in that popula- in the population in regards to socioeconomic status, the people who maybe came from lower backgrounds felt a little, like, not maybe ashamed, but also kind of, like, unable to kind of explain their reality because you don't want people to pity you at the same time. You don't want to be like, oh, I'm poor, like, feel bad for me, you know what I mean? Because everyone mm-hmm. comes from a different background, but... At the same time, like, how do you assert yourself in these in these scenarios without, you know, also making your situation known to so many people? Mm-hmm. And also, like, I mean, although I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but as a human, sometimes we, I mean, we have egos, right? We want to preserve our family's dignity. You're not going to go around saying, like, oh, like, my dad doesn't have a job, my mom doesn't have a job, or I come, we make this much, right? But, like, and you know how much, and you know exactly how much, maybe not exactly how much, but you know, for example, your classmates, both their parents are doctors, mashallah, mm-hmm. right? You, you can already sense a disparity when it comes to that. So it was it was really tough, honestly, for me, because I, I'm going to be upfront, like, you know, I, my parents, my family was struggling at the time, and so it was hard for me to be around so many people who just didn't understand that kind of experience. Um, who I had, there were a lot of people that I knew whose parents were paying out of pocket, you know, seventy thousand dollar tuition. Literally, I mean, it means every semester thirty five. They're writing thirty five thousand dollar checks, like with no loans. Like I, because I know for sure they're not taking out loans. They told me up front, and there's, there's no pressure to do work study, and I'm like man, like, what What would it be like if everyone kind of understood, like, kind of the realities of those who actually have to take out student loans and mm-hmm. make the effort to pay them back? And these are not a couple, it's not a couple thousand dollars often. It's, it's like, you know, in the either tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Do you think that, and, and first off, I, I, we definitely are not trying to paint with a broad brush. Of course, of right? course, yeah. Uh, and also realize, realizing that issues of class uh, are existent across, you know, whatever your faith tradition or lack thereof, right? right? But 
in terms of how the Quran is situated and how these themes are repeating, and, and one of the things uh, that we're quite often told to be mindful of is the is the condition of others. Right. Uh, to you know, looking at the orphan, looking at uh, the the impoverished. Do you think? And once again, this is kind of a bit of a dicey uh, uh, scenario because you are dealing with young people who are dealing with quite a you know just just an array of, of, of issues you know um, in that setting but do you think that some of this is related to a lack of engagement with the Quran where they are not uh, they're not just they're not reading and they're not aware of these particular um, uh, realities that may not necessarily be you know reflect their own um, you know the, right. the fact that they're doing well, they don't have to worry about right. looking for money or work study, anything like that. Do you think how much of that do you think is related to a lack of engagement with uh, with the crime? Well, I don't think that can necessarily be like quantified. No, 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 no. Like, yeah, but I think perhaps that that I would say that most definitely does play a role. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more so having to do with the fact that they've become so comfortable mm-hmm. in their circumstances that they don't rather than as opposed to like a lack of engagement with the Quran it's more so about the level of comfortability yeah. with with what they already possess. I agree I feel like it would be less about the engagement with the Quran because I'm sure everyone knows oh yeah there are definitely right. poor people like it's it's a it's a it's a reality it, that exists. it's a reality that exists yeah. but it's a matter of what I think is I think it's about upbringing yeah. it's about let's say if they grow up in an upper class neighborhood their whole life you know with not as much as engagement with those who are coming from lower income backgrounds or low income neighborhoods there's a huge difference between the amount the the type of culture the type of school you go to you know the way you talk even like all of that changes right so if you're brought up in a certain environment like that then you can't in a way you can't really blame them for like being like why don't you engage with the quran or engage with these poor people like you know but it's something it just ends up to be it happens to be an inevitable reality Mm -hmm. and then it doesn't you know maybe it's it's not until college when they finally you know go off to these places and they meet a lot of other people and they realize oh like there are so many different types of people out there um and i'm obviously there are different obviously schools like you encounter like public high schools you probably encounter people from all types of backgrounds but let's say you go to a private school right Mm -hmm. most likely people who are sending their kids to private school are have the capacity to send their kids and pay for that tuition so they're definitely not going to be of like super low incomes or or or, cer- or certain ethnicities or certain minorities so um yeah i mean i get that's what i'm saying i don't i don't know if it has it has a large correlation with engagement with the quran per se mm-hmm. i think it has more to more so to do with engagement with the broader community and what's what yeah. else is out there beyond their town or neighborhood or, yeah. or school mm-hmm. yeah I, I couldn't help but pose that question thinking about uh, stally that's the name okay yeah. all right I couldn't help but think about the fact that he was studying these other um, traditions. Uh, yeah, these other traditions and looking, I assume looking for some some meaning in them. Yeah. Um, but then that also led me back to the whole idea about the, the reading gives an interpretation which leads to some type of action, right? It sure. shapes the way we the way we see things, right? What's what's important to us? What do we feel like Allah, God is telling us that we need to be paying attention to. Um, so that question, even though I'm, you know, it was in the context of right. college students, it's really a question that you could ask anybody 
at any point, right. you know, in their life. You know, how much does how much of what you do or what you see is based on, or what's it based on? Is right. it based on just like you? How, how do we how do we assess? Or I'm sorry, how do we determine what we value? Right. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, it's kind of a broad question, but it plays into the context of this conversation. Well, and then we get back to that, to that, uh, that descriptive normative. Right. Right. There's a there's a normative value placed on uh, things, and and of course that would mean uh, you want to have a, a good income, a good home. Yeah. Those are normative values, yeah. right, for the most part. Um, but let's let's extend this a little bit, right? We are in a pluralistic society. We're one percent. Of the population, yeah. uh, but we have a, a a text that shares, you know, common themes with the Bible, with yeah. the the Torah, right? With with other uh, faith traditions, right? Uh, we're supposed to be people that are of uh, charitable, you know, charitable people. We're supposed to be compassionate and honest and upright and all of that. So when it comes back to poverty, or not even poverty, but just the, the reality of that there are, that there's an upper echelon uh, of of the economic stratosphere, and then you got folks who are living hand to mouth, right? They they want to do better for their children, their families, and they sacrifice, uh, and and they you know and they put their children in position to to do better than they did, which makes me think about student loans, yeah. <laughs> right? Makes me think about student loans because. Um, and, and sometimes it's the parents who takes the, take these uh, loans on, but more often than not, it is the student uh, themself, yeah. uh, themselves that take on those loans. And that's, 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 that's a big part of the conversation right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be the Democratic nominee right. for, for president. Yeah. How much do you think these individuals... I should say, do you think that these individuals' political uh, ideology or their ideas around how to address this particular problem mm -hmm. is influenced by their theology, by, by, by their interpretation of their scriptures? <laughs> I want to say no. Okay. You say no, just not at all. No no correlation. I mean, like there, there might be some, but yeah. I think it has more so to do with the political circumstances like around that revolve around their campaigns mm -hmm. and policy and the way in which policy is enacted and uh, the political process by which we go about uh, implementing bills. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has more so to do with the uh, uh, structures and political establishments that are already in place mm -hmm. uh, and the trajectory in which they go in as opposed to kind of like religious morals and ethics and whatnot. Um, although the, those those principles that are derived from religious morals and ethics and values could play some degree, uh, could play some role uh, to, some, to a certain extent in their policy making or in the way in which they go about kind of planning uh, uh, how they want their campaigns to look like. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I just can't, I, I, I just don't see that. Like in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, I mean, they they certainly couldn't be like Bible thumpers about it. I mean, unless they're, unless they're like, you know, super like dedicated, hardcore, like right wing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 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 neoconservative uh, 
Christian evangelicals, you know, evangelical types, right? Yeah, that you know, always you know, essentially integrate uh, Christian values into their you know policies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help but think about like neoconservatism in like the eighties and moving forward, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that we see right now, especially you know, although. Donald Trump is not necessarily known to be like you know the most righteous Christian on the face of the earth, but 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 that's the the audience that he appeals to, right? Because he's, he because he's he, guy, he invokes those those concepts. And, yeah, he's and the guy who came to dinner. They just gave him a plate, even though he really wasn't invited. Um, <laughs> sit down and eat. Um, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I honestly don't know enough about uh, these candidates, like and their tie to ties to religion and how. You know, uh, strict they are with it. So I, I feel like I don't have enough to comment on that, and on, on seeing how much religion would influence their political positions, especially on an issue like student loans or, you know, finances or whatever. But I, I think I do agree with Sadaf in that I think it's maybe less to do with religion and more about the political circumstances and maybe their maybe personal upbringing about how they viewed the world and what they experienced as an individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find it interesting as a nation that um, we're supposed to have the separation of church and state, but a nation that nonetheless self-identifies by majority as um, it's having Christian values. And you can't think of a a more Christ-like value than bringing relief to the poor. Right. Right. To, to those who are struggling. All right, now I know this might seem like a hard left turn that we've taken on you folks. Uh, we've gone from religion to politics. <laughs> but since we are here and we're talking about student loans, let's take a look at three of the, I guess, yeah, three of the front runners and yeah. uh, the uh, looking for the Democratic nomination. Well, actually, one of them is not a front runner. All right, so we got uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. We've got Senator uh, Bernie Sanders. Senator Bernie Sanders, and uh, entrepreneur business, businessman Andrew Yang. Yeah. Yang in Caliphate. Yeah. I, I don't know. He, I, I don't know. Does you think he might want to distance himself from the Yang in Caliphate? No, I, th- I think that's just a, that's a, that's a hashtag just that the Muslims. Uh, Muslims came up with on Twitter. All right. Now, look. Now, don't, don't subvert him. I mean, if you really... <laughs> Some people were cracking jokes about his whole uh, $1,000 a month policy, saying he's reviving the Beit al-Med, the, 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 the treasure. <laughs> um, okay, yes. So let's... Okay, since we started with him, since we're yeah. talking about... Let's look at what his... Um, po- Actually, he does not offer a, an actual policy. He just defines the problem. For, so, for what? As uh, far as student loans are concerned. Okay, yeah. Right? So according to his website, he says education debt has exploded in recent years to unsupportable levels. Yes, we know this. Millions of young Americans owe tens of thousands of dollars in debt and face an uncertain financial future. Entire generations will have difficulty advancing professionally, starting families, buying homes and vehicles, and fueling the next level of economic the next level of economic growth due to high debt loads, right? If you don't have money, you can't spend money. You know, that's like 101 stuff, right? We understand that. Uh, There is a low accountability for educational institutions that benefit from public financing while providing graduates a little in the way of real opportunities. Um, I think he's kind of pointing at those for-profit institutions. Uh, At least that's what comes to mind for me. You know, these, you know, they give you a, 
a degree or a certificate in basket weaving or, <laughs> you know, I don't know, cobbling. Well, you know what? You can make money as a shoe as, you know, a shoemaker. But anyway, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> so lenders, last thing, lenders have little incentive to work with those in debt since bankruptcy doesn't eliminate student loan debt. So that's the end. He doesn't tell you exactly how he's going to do anything, how he's going to address those things. Right. Um, Just identifying the issues. Yeah. I mean, this is stuff that, that, that we all know. But I do want to take a second to point out, um, and we'll look to see if anybody else addresses this, about bankruptcy, mm. right? Bankruptcy does not eliminate student loan debt. That's criminal. Yeah. That really is. Um, and I pray you never have to file bankruptcy, but if you do, you're looking for a clean start. But student loan debt does not go away. It stays with you. That's, that's oppression. Yeah, it really is. Like, what's the point of hitting the reset button if it doesn't reset all the way? Right. Right. So that's that's the Yang Gang on that. But of course, we know that there there are many more. Um, um, so he has no proposals. He just kind of states facts. Yeah. On this particular uh, issue. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Yang. Yeah, I had a lot of hope, but uh, I'm not so sure now. Yeah. Um, okay. So a court. Oh, you know what? What's important? We did not lead off with this. We should add this. Uh, this is according to NBC News. It says as many. As 44.7 million Americans have student loan debt, according to a 2018 report by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the total amount of student loan debt is $1.47 trillion. Oh, my God. $1.47 In the U.S.? Yes. Oh, my God. At the end of uh, 2018. More than credit cards or auto loans. Oh, my God. Most Americans with student debt are young, are young people. I don't know what the cutoff for young people, you know, is, but I'm going to say... We'll say under 40. Sure. All right? Okay. So um, let's look at Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren. You all give me your thoughts here. Uh, so this is according to CNBC. Senator Elizabeth Warren introduced a bill that would forgive the student debt of tens of millions of Americans. Under the legislation, all 45 million Americans with student debt would see at least a portion of their balance greatly reduced. Three-quarters of borrowers would have their loans scrubbed. Warren first proposed her plan in April, but the legislation, dubbed the Student Loan Debt Relief Act, offers new details on how the Massachusetts senator would dismantle the country's outstanding student debt tab, soon expected to exceed $2 trillion. That number we just got before was $1.47 trillion. Yeah. And so she's forecasting you know, a, a rise. Um, talk about it. What? what right. Uh, no, you know what? Don't talk about it yet. Don't talk about it yet. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with the last one, yeah. and then we can, you know, have some intelligent uh, conversation here. All right. So, according to uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, website, when Bernie is in the White House, he will pass the College for All Act to provide at least forty-eight billion dollars per year to eliminate tuition and fees at four-year public colleges and universities, tribal colleges, community colleges, trade schools, and apprenticeship programs. Goes on to say that everyone deserves the right to a good higher education if they choose to pursue it, no matter their income. Now, I think what he's also saying, he is saying that he would completely erase student loan debt, the existing student loan debt. Wait, so what would happen to those who were like just finished paying it off? Do they get like reimbursements? <laughs> you know, you know? some everybody yeah. can't win. Not yeah. in you right. know. I mean that would be that would be nice. Well I don't know. I don't know. Um 
let's see, make college debt free for all. I mean, like, yeah, once like a certain like bill is enacted, then like everything that that precedes it, I don't think would be applicable in the, in the aftermath of. That's uh, true. Yeah. Reading what we've read, you know, knowing what we know now, we are now experts. <laughs> and we're going to give our expert opinion. No, we're not experts, but <laughs> as people who have to, you know, deal with student loans, um, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, student loan debt is like one of the one of my main concerns that I have right now, especially considering the fact that I just graduated from my master's program, and uh, it's been, you know, it's 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 something that's on my mind, something that I'm currently thinking about uh, with all the loans that I have, including the ones that I have from my undergraduate days. Mm. But I still haven't paid off. So, so, I mean, this is definitely something that I would like to see from uh, uh, any of the potential Democratic candidates, hopefully, um, in, the, in the next coming year or so, if, if they're able to actually, like, implement and actually enact this, you know, this particular policy, mm-hmm. then I think it would most definitely be a huge relief for so many people all across the country, including myself. Um, it, I mean, it's just, it, you know, people think about, like, their financial capacity, and whether or not they're able to, you know, pay off their student loans. And I, I, I know there's also programs that allow you to pay off your student loan debt based on, like, your monthly income or whatever, or yearly income. And then after a certain number of years, the rest of it is eliminated. Mm-hmm. That's um, like the... I'm not exactly public sure forg- how it works, it, it, I think it's like the public forgiveness program or something like that. But that's... I know, like, if you go into public sector, there's a way you can get your loans forgiven, but that that also comes with certain conditions, I believe. Like, yeah. you, you can't make above a certain amount of money, so your salary, like, if it's, like, if it's, oh, no. like... they just take more. Yeah. yeah. They just keep, yeah, they yeah, just take exactly. more. So you have to meet certain conditions, and it's, you know, contingent upon that, but... Um, yeah. I, I'm curious to know, like, what is the pushback against, like, what I've heard from, you know, certain places that, like, these, like, for example, Bernie Sanders' proposal to kind of get rid of student loan debt altogether is implausible and won't happen mm-hmm. um do you guys know anything about that or what where he's where the where they're getting this kind of i'm not exactly sure like what the response from. to that is but like perhaps it may seem like too theoretical like too ideal um but i feel like with all of the financial investment that goes into like the, mil- the military industrial complex for example i feel like student loan debt can like easily be wiped out can, and, and especially when you when you look at the numbers that are being invested yeah. into the military industrial complex and like and prisons and whatnot to, to maintain these you know sectors of the government and whatnot, I feel like student loan debt is very minor in comparison. So whether or not they're able to do it, I mean, we can remain optimistic and hope that something will be done uh, to kind of either reduce or eliminate. Yeah. Because uh, even if even if Bernie Sanders can't carry out this this proposal yeah. to a full level, I'm sure he will do something to relieve some of this debt and to yeah. relieve the the problem of trying to go to college. Um, well, I mean, I think the, the free college for all, yeah. that in itself, well, that goes beyond the, you know, getting rid of student loan debt. And that really addresses something else, which um, has been talked about, which is the wealth gap. Yeah. You know, particularly, you know, the whole and, and it's usually situated with in terms of, you know, black, white uh, uh, families and giving people the opportunity to be able to pursue higher education. Yeah, that can go a long way yeah, you know, sure. towards that. But as far as getting rid of student loans, I don't think it's so much a matter of 
can they? It's like, do they have the will to do it? Right. Right. Do they have the will? And are they willing to suffer the fallout for it? Right. Because who's connected? Right? Whose money are they taking? Right. Right. I mean, that's a um, that's a tried and true industry. Um, like I said, you can file bankruptcy and you still got your student loan. Right. So um, what are your thoughts about that, about the free college for all? It sounds nice. And I know of, like there are other countries, like certain European countries that have d- adopted like the democratic socialist model, like places like uh, Sweden, I think, or Switzerland, yeah, Sweden, yeah, mm-hmm. um, where you know, school is free. You know, like where I'm from, back in Tunisia, school is free. I think the only thing that students have to pay for is just textbooks. And so, it, it, so it's most definitely doable. But at this point, in like in an American context, given the condition of the American economy and economic circumstances, I I don't know. Um, but but it's it's doable. So as long as they like feasibly find a way to enact that, or but I mean that there would have to be a lot of like restructuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that would have to take place in terms of, of how the school systems are set up and, and, and how they can uh, uh, like what's their how they go about like uh, what's what I'm looking for uh, how they allocate like mm-hmm. uh, a- accessibility to like students and all that yeah, and I'm also wondering if you know if college is then made free if this changes like how much professors and you know staff and faculty get paid in these institutions because I know I mean obviously we know all of this all of that kind of runs from people paying their tuition so if the government can kind of meet the same amount then that would be a good thing right um, that and this also makes me think of obviously when it when it comes to funding colleges is only referring to public universities but for private universities it's a different scenario right, yeah. right. so would this change you know, the amount of financial aid that private universities are given to students to kind of compete with, because for sure, the public universities are going to be much more, I guess people are going to be trying to get into public universities, because who wouldn't want to go to college for free, right? right? But, you know, for those who maybe want to attend a more, um, to attend a private university, I'm wondering what, what these private universities will do to kind of like compete against everyone trying to go to the public ones or maybe or perhaps maybe there won't be competition maybe it's but that's the problem and then I think public university I mean private universities are mainly going to be targeted towards the rich elite um, students who, who are who have parents that are not or more than willing to send off their kids and pay 60 70k tuition per year um, well a, a Harvard degree or Duke or UFC or Yale yeah. uh, those degrees don't become any less valuable because right. public uh, institutions are now free, yeah. Right, though they still are as no, for valuable, sure, for sure. Right, because I'm, I was just thinking about like the amount of students, like, like I, I'm thinking like if I were to have children and they were trying to going off, they were going off to college. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I'd be like, yeah, it would be nice if you could go to like a top school that's a private university, but also like if you right. can get into like UVA, that's still a good school and it's free, then just go to UVA. You know, yeah. and in that sense, it would just it would kind of st- it would I, f- I fear that what it what would happen is it might steer like some di- quote unquote diversity or, or encouraging more people of lower income to go to these top schools even though these top schools tend to give good financial aid packages even when that happens they still have like sometimes oftentimes they still have remaining balances that they have to pay off or they ended up they end up taking off the rest through loans do you get what I'm saying yeah I, I got you but I think that those in, those private universities right um, I think that this their response would be 
um, you know, it, it would be uh, commensurate to this new reality mm-hmm. because they're doing. You know, there's a there's a push to diversify, you know, to, right. to bring sure. diversity in yeah. these spaces, right? So, and they're funded for generations, yeah. Yeah. right? Really Most of these important. places got big, big, big endowments, right. and um, I think they would just try to be become more competitive, yeah. uh, you know, with, with regard to that. That's true. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you, you've heard the official analysis uh, that we have, which means that you probably need to go and do your own analysis. Um, no, we just apologize gave you. in advance if we didn't give you what you're looking for. Yeah. We just gave you our two cents. I mean, admittedly, once again, you know how conversations go. You do take those hard lefts or hard rights. Right. Um, but I would like to see. Um, at, at least to feel like the people that are making these policies, um, that they had an awareness of those who, you know, who are disenfranchised, who, uh, who are struggling, right? And I think that's why a message from someone like, and this is not an endorsement, but from somebody like Bernie or someone like uh, an Elizabeth Warren or even uh, Andrew Yang, uh, people who recognize that everybody's not doing well. Right. Uh, and government has to take on the responsibility of alleviating some of that pressure that folks are living with. Um, and if that stems from an interpretation from your, you, you know, from your religious text that says that you need to do, you know, keep those in, uh, who are impoverished or who are struggling in mind, great, right? Um, and if not, it's still great. So I thank y'all. Any any parting words that you have? Uh, yeah, y'all are both up. Well, I already know you up. You got a new uh, new video yeah, yeah. that you did. On now this, yeah. Yeah, a new, a new now this video. Uh, tell folks where they can check it out. So basically, I recorded a recent video with now this, um, basically arguing that what's happening in Chinese occupied East Turkestan, or the homeland of the Uyghurs and Turkic people. Um, what's happening there is much more than a cultural genocide because oftentimes the media portrays it as as such um, and I argue that this is it's heading in the direction or it already is a physical genocide and that the international that the international community needs to start calling it as so because cultural genocide is not a defined crime in international law and because of this coin because of coining it this way I feel like the the community and um, certain actors are not taking it as seriously. So I kind of walked through a little bit of that in my video. So you can check it out on Facebook, Twitter, or even the SaveUighur.org website. It's S-A-V-E-U-I-G-H-U-R.org, and it'll actually pop. The video will actually pop up, so you can watch it if you'd like. Okay. Um, so check out Stally's new album. <laughs> Hashtag feel the burn. Hashtag Yang Yang Caliphate. You know it's good. <laughs> All right, and I'm gonna I'm I'm give. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know what Senator Warren's uh, her hashtag is, yeah. but um, I'm glad to see her. <laughs> it's like the lamest endorsement. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, family, we thank you all for joining us for another edition of Radio Islam. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. Subscribe to the podcast at Radio Islam USA, wherever you get yours at. Uh, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Bujahid to remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. 
We're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.